Welcome to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We appreciate you tuning in again today as we look at the Word of God and study the Bible here and have these Bible lessons on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and as always, it's a great blessing to have an open King James Bible on the table before me, and we trust you'll open yours and follow along this week as we look into the Scriptures. On this program, we are interested in what the Bible actually says and not merely what it is presumed to teach. So we encourage you to follow along with us now in the Word of God. This week, we're going to be looking at some great practical instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ on how to resolve conflict among Christians. And you say, is there conflict among Christians? Well, the Bible certainly has much to warn uh, us about concerning this subject matter, much instruction for us. So obviously, it's very the potential is very great. And you know something, uh, those of you who've been churchgoers, especially if you're Baptist churchgoers, for very long know how heated that church conflict can become and how the simplest things can turn into some of the biggest issues uh, among Christians. And my brethren, these things ought not so to be. And if we would just slow down long enough to actually examine what the Bible says, we would find out that there are specific steps to be taken to get things resolved. And so this week, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has to say to us here about these issues in Matthew chapter 18. Let's begin reading together in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus is speaking, and the word of God says this, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. And uh, obviously, when he says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, the potential is there. Now, it's very true that Jesus Christ said this, he said that uh, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples and that ye have love one toward another. So we're supposed to love one another. Uh, this is the fulfilling of the law. We're certainly to have love one for another because how can we love God if we don't love one another? If a man say he loved God and hate his brother, the Bible says he is a liar. Nevertheless, uh, there's many instructions throughout the Bible that indicates that Christians have the great potential to get crossways with one another. And right here, the Lord Jesus addresses this very d distinct possibility also when he says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now, notice what he says to do. If a true trespass has taken place. And let me just say right here that in this late hour before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, here in America, Christianity has never been weaker than it is today. And... Uh, Professing Christians get sideways over some of the silliest, most frivolous, foolish things that you could possibly imagine. And I might be talking to you. You see, a lot of times people say, well, yeah, I've been offended. I've been trespassed against. Well, let's be sure that it's a real trespass. The first time a trespass is mentioned in the Bible, it had to do with the relative accusing another relative of stealing something. Uh, sometimes a trespass could be money that is stolen. Somebody owes somebody money and they don't pay it back, which is theft. Those are trespasses that have to be dealt with among the brethren. We're not talking about frivolous stuff like, well, so-and-so didn't shake my hand or so-and-so rolled his eyes when I said this or so-and-so took my pew. No, that's just Laodicean carnal baby stuff. What we're talking about and what Jesus is referring to is true, genuine issues, conflicts, that arise between the brethren. He says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, step number one, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So the first instruction is some good one, is a good one. And that is that we are to go to the brother that has offended or trespassed against us and talk to him individually, personally, and privately alone. 
This is how God deals with the people uh, that are his enemies in the Old Testament. God said this, he says, I am the Lord thy God and repayeth them that hate me to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him, here's the wording, to his face. You need to go face to face with the man or the woman that has trespassed against you. Now, common sense should play into this, and you should not go with the spirit of antagonism. You should not go with a chip on your shoulder to, quote, straighten them out. Listen, the whole point of this, this process is to bring unity and reconciliation back, okay? And so Jesus says, you know what? Don't go spread it around. Don't go tell the janitor. Don't even go tell the pastor necessarily. You need to go to the person privately. Don't do it right before church, right after church, in the parking lot. No, find a time to say, hey, brother, can I talk to you sometime? And stand face to face and tell him uh, what the issue is, what's bothering you, what, what he did to you. Tell it to him alone, the Bible says. That's, that's singular. You know, this is a, a great truth that's spelled out even more clearly in Proverbs 25, verse 9. The Scripture tells us there that we're to, it says, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself. Did you get that? Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. Now, you know how uh, simple these instructions are that Jesus Christ is giving, but do you know how easy it is to ignore these instructions? The flesh wants to do things its way. And so you know what some people think? They think if someone has done them wrong, that all bets are off, all, uh, there's no holds barred, now I can do anything in retaliation and I'm justified because they hurt me first. But brethren, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And so what people typically do is rather than go to the person who has trespassed against them, they go to somebody else and begin to run that person down. Now, when you do that, you have become part of the problem, and now you are in the transgression just as much as the brother who trespassed against you. So now you're both. You're both out of the will of God. You're both in trouble with God. Because when you take uh, and begin to complain about some other brother to somebody else in the church, or in the fellowship of that church, then you have just begun to sow discord among the brethren. And you know what? The people that you spew your poison out to, you know what they feel in their heart? They feel like they have to take sides one with the other. They feel like, well, this person's telling me this, and I've got to agree with them and nod my head and act like everything's okay, even though I can see some issues in them that they're not. Listen, you can't do it that way. God hates the sowing of discord, and you're not to discover uh, a secret to another. You're not to go complain about what some brother did to you if you have not first gone to the brother alone and told him his trespass to his face. Now, what is the goal of this? Well, look what Jesus says at the end of verse 15. It says, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So that that's the whole goal is to get the brethren unified again, to get the reconciliation made. That's the goal. It says, thou hast gained thy brother. That's the purpose. You didn't go to him so you could, quote, chew him out and set him straight. You went to him to say, hey, look, I have been, you've offended me because this is what happened. And, and I, want, I, want to, I want to talk about this just with you. Okay? So the two people are together and they talk about it. That's where it starts. And you know something? Many times some of these things can be resolved because there was a misunderstanding. Sometimes people just misunderstand each other. 
And sometimes these things can be fixed with a simple face-to-face meeting. And then, boy, won't you be glad that you didn't go spreading bad uh, rumors about that fella to other people? Isn't that a blessing? And you say, well, preacher, what if he doesn't listen? Well, verse 16 is the second step. The Lord Jesus Christ continues. He says, but if he will not hear thee. So you go to him alone. You articulate what the problem is. You try to get it resolved. And he doesn't listen to you. It says, if he will not hear thee. Then, second step, take with thee one or two more. Why? That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now you're going to bring some witnesses in, maybe one more person and at the most two more, because what they're going to do is they're going to listen to the problem and then they're going to help judge it and make discernment here uh, about what needs to be done. Obviously, the man who goes to get two witnesses is confident that he has... uh, he has a case, and so he brings them in, and what that does is that get, gets everybody real honest because when you've got a couple of people who are sitting there listening uh, that are witnesses, that will, help, uh, that will help keep people honest because they're there to listen to what is said and to help get a fact established because, you see, what you have to do when you're dealing with these things is we're not working off of perceptions. We're not working off of evil surmisings. We're not working off of innuendos or gossip. What we want are the facts. What happened? What happened here? Okay, and so what we want to do is those, those other uh, witnesses involved now, this second step, is going to help establish what the facts are, and then they can help conclude what needs to happen next. Because many times, um, judgments can't be made because... All we're hearing is what they call hearsay. Somebody hears it, and then they go tell it. That's called hearsay. You know, over there in Nehemiah chapter 6, there's an interesting verse that says they were trying to stop the Jews from rebuilding the wall. And so they were starting rumors about them and trying to get uh, opposition stirred up against them. And Nehemiah 6.6 6 says this, It is reported among the heathen, listen, And Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. Well, who cares what Gashmu has to say? We need witnesses. I'm not interested in what somebody thinks. I'm not interested in what somebody thought they heard. I'm interested in the facts. And witnesses being brought in will help establish the facts. Do you remember when they tried to trick the Lord Jesus in John chapter 8? They brought to him a woman that had been taken in adultery. And the reason that they wanted, uh, they were real clear when they came to, brought her to the Lord Jesus. They said, now this woman was taken in adultery. But then they added these words. In the very act. Now, do you know why they said that? Because they wanted to let him know we were witnesses. Listen, when some, they caught that woman, they brought her when she was, quote, in the very act. Now, you know what, you know what adultery is? Well, these men, they're, they're telling the Lord, we saw it. The, the law said in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. We saw this woman. We caught this woman. This is not gossip. This is not hearsay. Lord, we saw her. We caught her in the very act. They said that to him to try to get him in a corner because basically they're saying we know this is true. Now, we don't have time to get into the whole story in John chapter 8. I'm just pointing out that those men told Jesus that because they didn't want, they thought they had a, a foolproof, sealproof case uh, for him to deal with. Because they were witnesses, real eyewitnesses. And uh, one time I heard a preacher say this man was accusing another preacher of committing adultery with his secretary. And finally that man said, let me ask you something. He says, were you in the hotel room where this secretary and this preacher were at? And he says, well, no. He says, well, then you're not a witness. So quit running your mouth. 
Amen and amen. That's what we need more of. But this second step is going to get one or two more brethren to sit and listen and then to help make a decision on what needs to happen. And in verse 17, you say, what happens then if the person doesn't get right? Verse 17, step three. If he shall neglect to hear them. So these two witnesses that this guy brought, this second step didn't work either. He's stubborn. He is not repenting. He's not getting right. He's not listening. And it says, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Now, right here is a very instructive uh, a place right here, how to study the Bible. You know, I, the way you understand the Bible is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And so what I need to do in order to understand what it means to tell it unto the church is I need to, number one, begin to look and see, does the Bible say anything else about church discipline or how to deal with conflict between the brethren anywhere else? And certainly it does. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 deal with that very subject matter. Because as we're going to see here in just a minute, uh, there were brethren at the church at Corinth who were taking one another to, to uh, court because they were having conflicts among one another. But you know something, not only should we compare Scripture with Scripture, but let me just step in here and say this. Common sense does not have to go out the window when dealing with practical righteousness here and the instructions that the Lord gives. Now, what do I mean? Well, some people come to the passage and they see where the Lord said, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. They immediately say, well, we got to bring it before the whole church. The whole membership's got to hear this. Why, that's not smart. You say, well, Brother Alltop, uh, what's the Bible say? Well, it says, tell it unto the church, but we're going to find out that you can tell it unto the church by selecting some wise men to hear it. Because common sense says this. Now, stay with me this morning or today. Uh, do you really want your 11 and 12 and 13-year-old who are members of your congregation to be setting, sitting in a service where uh, two warring uh, Brethren, get up and air their dirty laundry and their, their inside details of their, of their fight. Number one, I don't want my children exposed to that, really. And number two, if the church is the one that's going to determine how in the world is a 12 or 13-year-old going to be able to make a, a, a wise decision on how to uh, discern between these two brethren. They're not. And so, therefore, common sense says this doesn't necessarily have to mean the entire membership of the church because most a lot of people can't handle it. You know, there's plenty of people in a church that's considered what the Bible calls feeble-minded, and they're not able to handle that kind of stuff. And you shouldn't put them in a position to even have to listen to it. You say, "Well, preacher, what's it mean when Jesus says tell it unto the church?" Well, look uh, with me in First Corinthians chapter six. Let's compare scripture with scripture. Common sense says it's not a wise thing to bring this uh, dirty laundry and air it before the entire congregation. Because there's all kinds of different spiritual ages, all kinds of different makeups, and a lot of people aren't interested in hearing this, and really they don't need to hear it. So you say, what does it mean uh, that they tell it unto the church then? Well, look here in 1 Corinthians 6, the Bible says, Dare any of you having a matter against another? Same, same subject matter as being addressed in Matthew 18. Brethren having conflict, a matter, uh, a trespass, a conflict among each other. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Paul is asking some very, uh, very piercing and convicting questions. He is saying, 
Hey, you all are going to, you're saints. One day you're going to judge the world. Can't you judge the smallest matters? He says in verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Aha! So when there's a matter that comes before the congregation that the church needs to listen to, they're supposed to get some people that can judge between them. Now, verse 4 is a little bit of sarcasm from Paul because he said, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Now, does he really mean that you're supposed to get the biggest morons to make the decision? Well, of course not. Look at verse 5. He says, I speak this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. In other words, I only told you to get the least esteemed in the church because obviously there's no wise men there and you don't, there must not be at least, not even one because uh, he said, you know, I speak this to your shame. There's not a wise man among you that can judge between his brethren. In other words, what the ideal situation is, is pick you out some wise brethren that can listen to this whole thing and then they can conclude because he says this, Verse 6, brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now there's utterly a fault among you. And so in other words, this is ridiculous, fellas, that you can't get these things resolved. Is there's no wise men in your congregation that can make a wise decisions about these things? And of course, that was a, 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 a sarcastic rebuke to the church at Corinth. But when Jesus said, if he shall neglect to hear them, the two witnesses that the man brought, then you're to tell it unto the church. And I believe by comparing Scripture with Scripture, the church is to pick out a group of men that are wise and able to discern uh, and make a righteous judgment call upon whatever the issue is. And that is a good thing to do. And uh, that is a wise thing to do. And there ought to be wise men in the congregation that can help decide and judge these things. But now look back in Matthew 18, in verse 17, he says, If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church... In other words, here's the third step, and the man's not listening. He hasn't listened. He has it the, the first time. The first time the man approached, they couldn't work it out. The second time he came, he brought two witnesses. They wouldn't, he wouldn't listen to them. Now they've told it to the church. The wise judges some men. They set some men to judge in the church, and they've come to the conclusion. Obviously, the insinuation is that the man who's being uh, told here he's in the wrong, and if he neglects to hear the church, He says this on the third attempt when the church judges him and uh, brings to pass a judgment call upon him. If he won't listen to them, it says, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Those are about some of the lowest uh, people that you can get. What that is a, a reference to, a heathen is someone who is a Gentile in the Bible, but most specifically, a heathen is someone who's a Gentile who's unsaved. And so you know how you're supposed to treat this brother if he won't listen to three different times where you're trying to make it right? If he won't listen to the church on that third time, you're to treat him like an unsaved man. Now, I didn't say he was unsaved. It just said you're to, uh, he's to be unto you, unto thee, as an heathen man and a publican. And obviously the result is many times that he's put out from the congregation. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says, Deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, I know that sounds probably a little harsh to some of uh, my sensitive ears out there today. 
but here's the problem. Somebody says, you mean you'd kick somebody uh, that you believe in kicking somebody out of the church like this in a, in a church discipline situation? You, you believe in that? You think that's Christian? Yeah, it's, uh, Jesus Christ is the one that gives you the instructions here. And the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Ghost, said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5. You see, an unrepentant sinner, somebody who is living in sin or who trespasses against a brother and will not get it right and will not listen to reason and will not listen to the brethren, he is to be turned out of the fellowship in order to, number one, now listen, here's where the problem comes in. You forget something, those of you who are struggling with this teaching right now. Uh, the society you live in makes you believe that you are the center of the universe. Society uh, and the God of this world has made you believe that you are the end all. It's all about you. You're selfish. And you think that you have a right to go into a church and do whatever you want to do and that nobody has a, a right to correct you or to bar you from anything. But let me remind my listening audience of something. If you're a born-again Christian, going to a church, the Lord's church, gathering together in a congregation of believers, are you listening? It's not your right. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. And therefore, you ought to treat it uh, with kids' gloves, and you ought to be thankful that you're a part of a local church, and you ought to realize this is a great privilege, and it comes with it uh, a great responsibility to live up to the best you can of following the Lord and being a good testimony for that church, strengthening that church's hands, and avoiding at all costs creating disunity or discord in that congregation. Because whatever you do to the Lord's church, you will answer for at the judgment seat of Christ. Which brings us to our next couple of verses. These are verses that are sometimes confusing to people, but in the context, it makes perfect sense. Look at verse 18, what Jesus says. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So here's what I take from that. While I may not understand all that's going on in those passages, I can tell you this. In the context, you're dealing with a man who has come to the third step of resolving the conflict among brethren. And if he won't listen to his church leadership, he's to be barred from that fellowship until he repents, 1 Corinthians 5. He's to be treated as a lost man because that's how he's acting. And whatever the church decides, God will honor their decision and bind that decision in heaven. And if they, if he repents and comes back and they free him from what they bound him under, then the Lord will allow him, the Lord will loose it also. In other words, heaven will back up whatever the church does if it's done scripturally and with the leadership of the Spirit of God by wise men in the church. He'll back that up in this, in this case about resolving conflict. Now you say, well, what does that mean for the man who's been put out? Well, it has nothing to do with his eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift, uh, and that has to do with faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Nobody can bar you out of heaven if you've been born again. But the truth of the matter is Christians will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, as we have seen in previous lessons on this program. And I tell you what, I sure wouldn't want to show up at the, at the judgment seat of Christ having been put out of a church, having not listened to the, uh, the wise men of a church, having been the, uh, in the middle of some church controversy and have that church judge as a whole that, uh, amen, I was acting like a heathen. And if the church does that, then God will honor that and that will be dealt with then at the judgment seat of Christ. 
And that's the best understanding I have of those two verses. When the Lord said, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, God is going to honor in heaven what his church does in righteousness down here on earth. And he will deal with that man in the coming day of judgment. And God help you if you have to wait till that day. But notice in verse 20 what we have going on. Here's a very popular verse, very often quoted. But now we're going to actually put it in its context. And it changes everything about uh, the verse. And it's verse 20. Jesus Christ is still speaking. He says this. In talking about how to resolve conflict among the brethren and bringing the church into it and maybe church discipline if you want to look at it that way. We come up on verse 20, the classic where Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, this is one of those classic misquoted verses. Because people usually quote this, I've been guilty of doing the same thing. Before I studied the context of this verse, every time two or three people would get together somewhere and get to talking about the Lord, or maybe they'd pray together or somebody would give a little word of testimony and somebody would cry a little bit, they'd say, boy, you know something? We just had church, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. Most of the time when people say that, that just means great. I don't have to go on Sunday. But what they'll say is, well, you know what Jesus said? We're two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. Well, I understand the, the thought behind that, but the context of the, of the statement is in the context of dealing with conflict among the brethren. And I'm going to tell you this, that is a great verse of comfort because there is nothing more painful, more agonizing, agonizing and excruciating to a pastor than to have to moderate and deal and referee uh, between two warring factions in a church or two families that can't get along who have offended one another and are ticked off at one another that is that is uh, that is painful stuff but the promise here is if you'll follow God's instructions Jesus says I will be in the midst of them when they gather together to do this and so listen when the church is gathered together to hear this and this third step and these wise men according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 are there listening and they make a decision God will honor that and there to bar that man or to treat him as a heathen and as a publican until he repents. And you say, man, that's harsh. Man, that's hard. I know it's no fun. But you know something? Jesus Christ said, look, if you'll do this, I'll be. Wherever you gather up to do this, I'll be in the midst of you if you'll just trust me. So really, uh, and there's never a time we need the wisdom of God and the presence of the Lord Jesus, the gentle Lord Jesus, uh, than when we're dealing with resolving issues and restoring men or uh, rebuking men or barring men from the fellowship until they repent. That's serious stuff. And it's painful for all involved. It's very sobering and a trying issue for the whole church. And so you know what? Jesus just reminds us, I know it's not easy, but he says, if you'll do it, you two or three gather together to deal with this, then I'll be in the midst of you. And let me just close by saying this. Some of you misunderstand what the whole point of church discipline is. Some people view church discipline and talk about it as though it's a way, it's an avenue of getting vengeance on an enemy. That it's some way to uh, put your foot on their throat and cast them down in the dirt and say, this is how we're going to deal with you. You ain't ever going to cross me again. No, if you've got that kind of an attitude, you need to be disciplined. No, what it is, it's designed to, number one, protect the unity in the local congregation. Because, listen, disunity is a tragedy and it stops the progress of the work of God in different degrees. And what God wants is a unified church. So church discipline is designed to help resolve issues and to keep unity. 
And number two, the main goal of it is to get the erring brother right with God. It is not to hold it over his head and mock him and get vengeance on him. It is so that he will get right with God and turn back. And listen, when he gets right, he can come back and go on with the church. That's a good thing because God's in the reconciling business. And thank God for that. And let me just remind you again of how serious it is to be a part of a local church. Because uh, I take it very seriously what God has called me to do. And listen, the position that I have as pastor of this particular congregation carries with it a great responsibility. It is possible for me to live in such a way to forfeit the privilege of being a pastor of people. God forbid. So help us always remember, all of us need to remember what a great privilege it is to fellowship in a local congregation, to be a part of the work of God in a local congregation, or to preach to a local congregation and never get the idea that the church can't do without us. And that'll help keep us humble and low to the ground. And I sure hope this stuff has helped you today. And may God deliver us from ever having to put into practice uh, this material that we looked at. But if we do, uh, the Lord has given us the proper instructions and will guide us through it. And he says, I'll be in the midst of you if you'll do it the way I told you to do it. Thank God for that. May the Lord bless you until we meet again. Thank you.